I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. I'm as conservative Republican as you'll find, but I want good things for America. When they get it right, we should all applaud. We should encourage them. And to the extent they're seeking our help, we should help them. By the way, when they have it wrong, I feel like I have an obligation to say, no, I think you have that wrong. So I'd like to welcome this week a very special guest. He's a former secretary of state and, of course, the former director of the CIA, a congressman, a lawyer and possibly other stuff that we're finding out. Secretary Mike Pompeo. How are you doing, Mike? I'm really good. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on today. So tell me a little bit about your story. I know you grew up in California, but then you ended up in Kansas and got into politics. Tell me a little bit about that. A little bit of a long trip, but the, the the departure from California was to go to West Point. So I graduated from there four years later and then was in the army for five years. 
then went to law school, practiced law for a bit, and ended up back in Kansas as an entrepreneur, starting a company with three of my best friends in the whole world, fellow classmates of mine from West Point. We we bought a machine shop on the north end of Wichita, Kansas, and ran that business for a whole handful of years. So I consider myself a manufacturing guy more, more than anything else, frankly. An entrepreneur in politics, isn't that kind of unusual, right? Politicians usually aren't very good at money, are they? <laughs> well, I had two good, had two good opportunities. I ran that business and then we sold it. And then I was asked to run a, another company, kind of the same thing in the oil and gas industry, making stuff, making uh, drilling rig repairs and tools and downhole equipment and the like. Lots of fun. So tell me about your experience in politics. So I know you rose to become a congressman in, in Kansas, which of course had become your home. Tell me about that experience. So that was the first time I ran for public elected office. The The only thing I'd actually uh, run for before was uh, to be the uh, member of my homeowners association board. Uh, <laughs> when I was unhappy about shake shingles or something like that, I can't remember exactly. Uh, and then I'd been involved a little bit in Republican politics back home and been involved in the Republican party as well. But in 2009, I was watching uh, what was happening. I, I didn't like the direction of the, co the country was being taken by President Obama and decided I would take a shot at running for Congress and was uh, blessed enough to get elected. So you rose pretty prominently because from there, you and the administration, of course, became the director of the CIA and you lasted the whole administration, which is actually, <laughs> you know, somewhat unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there were there was there was a little bit of turnover. No doubt about it. So tell me about your time at the CIA. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's a big great, it's a big building complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a great, a great opportunity. Uh, so I was on the intelligence committee in the House, so I had a little exposure to the CIA, but I'd never obviously known it like I came to know it when I was the director. It's, uh, it's a place that provides this absolutely pristine, critical information to the commander in chief and his fellow cabinet members so that they can have the best information in the world when they're trying to make really hard decisions around the world. And the workforce is fantastic. It, it ranges from people who do analysis to people who are actually out doing espionage operations, to engineers and technicians, uh, very capable signals people, the, the skill sets. We have economists. Uh, the, the skill sets are very broad, and they're some of America's brightest, most talented people working in a, a clandestine setting. And you've all seen it in the movies. Uh, they, don't <laughs> quite, they, don't, they don't quite have it right, but the work that is done there is truly remarkable and important to keeping people safe all across our country. Yeah, we kind of view the CIA through two lenses, like this black box that we don't know anything about. And also this, you know, people who do bad things. And that's pretty much the limitation <laughs> of our understanding. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, it's the case. Look, every organization has bad apples, but the, the CIA is focused on the work we do overseas. We don't it's not the FBI does the work back home. We were we were about chasing down bad guys around the world, trying to find them, trying to help the president understand how decision makers in countries all around the world, both our, our friends and our adversaries were thinking about things so that they could make really informed decisions and, and have that, that real time, good information upon which to make those decisions. So you were kind of an unknown when you became secretary of state. I kind of like remember reading your name and thinking, well, I know who he is. I remember him from being Cong from Congress and obviously, you know, the CIA, obviously, but how, how was that, you know, flying, being the face of America abroad? What was it like? My goodness, it was it's uh, is it was amazing. I, I, I can't tell you how much people want to see you when you're America's secretary of state. 
So wherever you fly, right, that plane lands and they want you to come see their leader, the prime minister, the president, the your, your counterpart, the foreign secretary. And it wasn't because of Mike. It was never they didn't want to see Mike. They wanted to see America's secretary of state because America's secretary of state can do an awful lot of good for them. And if they can develop a relationship or make a persuasive argument and convince America to assist them, uh, then it's much to the benefit of their country. And we are so so big, so powerful, and and frankly, such a force for good throughout the world that I, I it's, it's quite a privilege to be the the embodiment of that history of of the administration trying to deliver for for them, knowing full well the mission was always America first, get it right, take care of our people at home, and then let's find friends and partners to help deliver on that. It was the it was it was the privilege of a lifetime for sure. So I had a friend who worked for you. So I was following it. Her name's Morgan. Obviously, you know who that is. And, you know, uh, one of the things I was shocked by, you know, you're, of course, Signore Pompeo. You know, you're Italian. I can tell Uh, you you said one time that America is not a multicultural country. What did you mean by that? And did we get that wrong in the quotations? Because I know, you know, like, can you explain that more? I I can. Of course, we have people from all over the place. Right. I love my Italian heritage. uh, on my mother's side, she was from Europe. We loved that too. People come from all different backgrounds. Uh, this is this is lovely and wonderful. But America's always had this special thing about it, and our founders knew it. And when they busted away from the Brits, now coming up on our anniversary from 1776 in a few days, they knew that there was something really unique about being American, about this quintessential set of understandings that they gave us this document Right. They started it with the Declaration of Independence and they built out a framework called the Constitution. They built this republic. And so whoever you are and from wherever you come, whether you were an indigenous person that was here originally or you just arrived yesterday and came through our system and you got a chance, as I did, to be uh, I got to swear in people to become new citizens in America, no, no matter where it's from, you have this incredible privilege and, and people want to be here. And that's what I meant. That's what I meant. We, we need to have the unity surrounded by understanding about America as a as a noble nation, a good country, one that takes care of its people. And we have fights. We have different political views inside of our country. But in the end of the day, we're all Americans and we need to have that first and foremost in our minds as we think about not only how we raise our families, but how we represent ourselves and find our place in the world as well. That's not the answer I expected, because, you know, especially through the image we have of you through media, I expected something harsher and more broad. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, This is who I am. It's how I think about our nation. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So, Secretary Pompeo, I wanted to ask you about what happened or what exactly the events were that led up to you getting banned from mainland China, Hong Kong and Macau. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So it's a, it's very uh, it's, it's quite something. They did the sanction within just a couple minutes of the time that we'd left office right after the uh, swearing in of President Biden. Uh, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. My my son is engaged to a young lady named Rachel. She's a delightful woman. And she called me really quickly and said, uh, Mr. Pompeo, am I marrying into the sanctions regime? <laughs> I, I, I said, yes, it's me and my family, so perhaps you are, but it'll be a, it'll be fantastic. We'll all be fine. Uh, look, we, we had begun for the first time to challenge the Chinese Communist Party. It's doing so many bad things around the world. For, 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 forget its own political system, its communist political system, but they're, they've got a million people, mostly Muslim people, in the western part of their country, held in internment camps. I mean, that's just, that doesn't happen. And so we had declared, I had declared that this was genocidal and was ongoing. We began to confront them when they were engaged in activity around the world where they were using money to extort political favors for themselves, what you could call a bribery, but it's 
it's on a grander scale than that. And so they weren't happy about this. We were confronting them. We were imposing real costs on them. We'd also seen that they continue to refuse to tell anybody how the heck this virus got out of Wuhan. And we know we had millions of people dead, billions and billions of dollars lost. America's still trying to recover, as are countries all around the world. And the Chinese Communist Party continues to cover up what actually happened. Uh, they're still operating the viral lab that I think it's most likely where this originated. We, we have to know that this isn't going to happen again. So we were working hard on those things. They didn't like it, and they decided to sanction me to send a message, frankly, I think mostly to uh, the Biden administration that says, you may be in government service now, but someday you won't. And when you aren't, if you would like to do business with us, you should know you should be very careful. I think that's a dangerous message to send. And I'm confident that the Biden administration will still do the right thing and make sure that we protect America from the threat from the CCP. So why hasn't more been done? And I'm not specifically just speaking to the Trump administration, but also Obama, Bush, Clinton, going all the way back to Nixon. Why have we developed this dependency on China and we give them our money and we until the Trump administration, admittedly, say what you want about the Trump administration, the tone on China was generally permissive. Like, here's our money. Do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that is certainly true. And uh, it is your points very well taken. This isn't Republican or Democrat. This was U.S. policy for since roughly 1972, when Nixon and Kissinger went to China, was that this was a developing country. And if we just engage with them more, they'll leave us alone. What stays in Beijing will stay in Beijing. And, you know, for 30 or 40 years, that might well have made sense. But for a couple of decades now, we should have known better. We could see them become expletive. We could see them become expansionary. We could see them start to try to voice their way on us. And for a lot of reasons, most of them economic, right? We have a lot of folks making a lot of money there. Business is growing because of their connectivity to China. They have a market of 1.4 billion people, an important market for U.S. businesses. For, for those reasons, we just turn the other cheek. We'd see them do something and we would give them an exception. And President Trump made clear that was that was enough. We, we've got to fix this. They, I mean, they, they stole tens of millions of American jobs by just literally stealing intellectual property from the United States. Some creative engineer, some talented writer, some, some person who was doing great coding, and they just come and steal it for themselves after we've invested our money. And then they build the product there and they dump it back on our country. This, this is crazy. No, no, no rational nation would permit this to continue. And yet... Uh, it was awfully lucrative to look the other way. And President Trump said enough, and we began to right the ship. The good news is not only did we do it, but we convinced lots of others around the world who were suffering the same darn thing from the CCP. And they're all started down this path. The, the West, the, those of us who believe in like logic and thought and reason uh, <laughs> and good governance, uh, I, I think all of us can now see that we slept on this for a couple decades too long and are beginning to right the ship. And th- this will be a good thing. It'll not only be good, frankly, for those of us in the West. And when I say the West, I'd say the West is an idea here, but rule of law, property rights, uh, human rights. Uh, th- those of us in the West doing this will actually benefit the Chinese people too. There are, there are 1.2 billion Chinese people who aren't part of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and we love them. We want them to be successful and prosperous, too. And if we get this right, their lives will be better off as well. So why didn't even the Trump administration, because I can't just sit here and give you a free pass. I know the Trump yeah. administration changed the tone on everything. But were tariffs really the best answer? I mean, in the end, U.S. consumers paid that. So, like, I know the narrative changed, Secretary, yeah. but it's more like 
this is like, shouldn't we have convened the business community and been like, hey, like you got to <laughs> diversify your supply chains like yeah. now. So yeah. we, we did. But I will concede there is a lot of work left undone that we didn't get to, that there's a long way to go to to address this problem. So that's why I'm so hopeful this doesn't become partisan. This can't be partisan. This is about America, not about Trump or Biden or anything else. This isn't about politics. This is about getting it right and protecting our country. Uh, no, we left a lot still to do. You know, on, on tariffs, it's a very difficult problem. So that tariffs are imperfect. But boy, when you are trying to right the ship and get reciprocal trade, all, all we ever wanted was saying, look, if, if we sell you a widget and you're going to you're going to put three percent tariff on it, you show us the widget back. It should be three percent. We prefer zero. If you want 19, we'll do 19. But to have reciprocity in the trade relationship makes an enormous amount of sense. Uh, and so we were working our way towards getting there. But, you know, we did a lot of other things with the business community. I, I assure you, we convened to them. Some of them didn't like what we were peddling. They want to keep making money there. But I, I think they all came to realize the enormous political risk when they saw the virus and they saw our supply chains get honked up. I mean, when the Chinese Communist Party tells an American company that's doing business in China and it's making products under a contract with an American company, says, no, you can't ship that product. So an American company wants to ship in a product back to America to keep Americans alive. And the Chinese Communist Party says, no, you can't ship that today. I think the game, I mean, it's pretty apparent, right? This means it's not really fully an American business. It's subject to the whims of the communists in China. So we began to raise awareness. And so you'll see supply chains start to move. These, all, these things all take time. You'll, you'll see companies make different choices about how they produce their product and services. And I'm hopeful. I, I, the Biden administration has actually done good work so far on this. Um, I applaud them for keeping up the good work we did on on Taiwan and the good work we were doing on Hong Kong. Those are good things. And if we can begin to get this thing headed in the right direction over the course of the next five or 10 years, we'll be in an awful lot better place than we find ourselves today. Wait, 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 wait. Stop the presses. You applaud the Biden administration? Is that even something you're allowed to say in this political <laughs> environment, Secretary? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's for me. Look, I, I'm as conservative Republican as you'll find. I, I believe in, in the, the central tenets of what the Republican Party does. But I want good things for America. And so, yes, when, when they get it right, when I think they've, they've got the right end of the stick, we should all applaud. We should encourage them. And to the extent they're seeking our help, we should help them. This is this is what makes America so special and so great. And by the way, when they have it wrong, I, I feel like I have an obligation to say, no, I, I think you have that wrong. Uh, and, you know, that, that's what I've done for these first 150 days. That's, that's what I'll keep doing. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh, my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hold up. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. I Heart Country. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. So tell me a little bit about, you know, partisan politics these days. It seems like you don't hear a lot of what I'm hearing out of you right now, which is, you know, the other side has some stuff, right? You know, I'm not from that side, but, you know, yeah. it's, uh, they're doing some good work, right? Yeah, look, these are two, they're two, there's no doubt. There are, there are two deep divisions in how the parties think about the world. And you've seen inside the parties, there's fractures too, right? Inside the Democrat party, there's a, a big, bold left progressive ring. And then there's folks like Senator Manchin who are less that way. And the same is true inside of my party. Uh, we, we should know that these fa- that the founders called them factions, but, but we should know these have existed for an awfully long time and they'll continue to exist. And I hear people say, boy, the rhetoric is really heated today. Go back and read what they were saying about each other in the 1780s and 1790s and during the Civil War. Man, we're pretty tame, uh, to be honest with you. And so these debates ought to be had 
I, I'm, I, I can absolutely articulate a vision for how I see America moving forward. That would be grounded firmly in the conservative ideas that I think have served our country so well. But I'm happy if there's a better idea and it comes from some other place, from the, the more centrist part of my party or from the Democrat party. It's about getting it right. And uh, we should be fearless in speaking about this. We should allow every voice to be heard. We shouldn't cancel anyone. And we should each make our case and then convince the American people that we're right. And when we are elected, whether it's a city council or school board seat, when we are elected, make sure that we deliver on the promises that we made. If we turned out to be wrong, the American people will see that quickly and they'll reject it and they'll move another direction. So is there room for diversity of thought in the Republican Party or is there room for gay people, brown people, all oh these things? Tell me Abs- more about that. Absolutely. There are, uh, there's is a big tent, uh, has been for an awfully long time. I can't imagine it moving in other, any other direction. Um, I have good friends in the party who are gay. I have good friends in the party who are African-American. I just today, for example, as a perfect timely example, today I announced I'm supporting Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, someone who I came to Congress with back in 2000 and, uh, 2011, African-American elected from the South, an amazing, talented leader, and just a good human being. Yeah, this party is plenty big. It's plenty big for people from all over. Our, our party is a party of ideas. We have a we have a view of the way the founders intended our country to move forward, and the things that help our family and protect people's religious freedom. Those are things I care about an awful lot, and I'd welcome everyone inside who thinks about America in the same way. But the Republicans kind of have a PR problem, especially among young people. I'm sure you're a normal human. You have a family, right? I'm sure you have some kids. Yeah, I think you have one son, right? I have one son. He's 30 years old. Yeah. Okay. So he's fairly young, right? I'm sure his friends, you know, go, oh, I know who your dad is. Like, you know, like, like the, it seems like the Republicans aren't <laughs> cool. It's not cool to be Republican these days. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. He also has friends who say, can you get my dad's aut- your dad's autograph for me? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's true. There, there's a little of each. Uh, look, it, it's two thoughts. One, it's, it's often been the case that People tend to be more progressive, more liberal when they're younger, and they get a little bit older and see a little bit more of the world, and uh, they, they move to the right. That, that's been the case for at least the last, the modern era, the post-World War II era. But second, um, I, for one, and I hope all of my Republican friends will be relentless in addressing the things that matter to the next generation and addressing the things that are going to give them the chance to, to live their life the way they want to, to raise their family the way they want to, whatever, whatever that may be. I hope that's the case. And, you know, if if we've got to figure out a different way to market that, so be it. But I think these ideas resonate with people of of every background and every age. And I, I hope that the ears will be open and that the the schools and universities will continue to let us come speak and talk. And then they'll bring in somebody who disagrees with us so that young people get a chance to hear um, every thought and every idea and form their own judgments in a way that is intellectual and uh, not based on some legacy idea that may be outmoded or doesn't fit. So how about debt and deficits? We seem to be running the federal government deep into the red, and it seems to be a bipartisan issue these days. What are your it thoughts is. on that? It is. It's tragically bipartisan. I agree with you. Uh, like this is a difficult problem uh, for sure, but neither party has taken seriously the responsibility to make sure that we know those same young people you were just talking about. <laughs> Uh, we've got to make sure they can still live in the same America. I would always tell Nick when he was younger, 
I would say, Nick, I'm fine. My social security check's going to clear. <laughs> Yours may not. We got to get our act together. Uh, it is awful easy to spend other people's money and difficult and takes real political leadership to make the case for why certain things have to change and why we can't spend as much as we are. I hope, I hope both parties will find a way to take this more seriously. So tell me a little bit about your plans before you leave me, because I know, as, as always, you have your busy calendar and your assistant's going to start yes. you know, hating me yes. if I don't, you know. <laughs> yes, uh, I, no worries. Uh, so I, I'm working really hard to help candidates get elected in 2022. Good conservative people from all across the country. I was in California this weekend and in Texas, I'm swinging back out uh, to, I think, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania next week, uh, doing the same thing, helping folks get elected. Uh, I'm also trying to find a way to become an entrepreneur again, start a couple little projects. So I have a couple of those in the works as well. And I really, really love that. It's something I've always enjoyed. Uh, and then I've got a project I'm working on, on religious freedom as well, doing some writing there. Those, those three things keep me plenty busy. I'm sure. So uh, no plans as of yet. What do you see the 2024 landscape looking like? <laughs> oh my gosh. If you'd asked me and in uh, 2017, what I'd be doing, I'd say, well, I'm going to be a member of Congress for two more years. And I ended up having two great kicks. I, I have no earthly idea what it'll look like. No, no presidential plans as of yet, because it seems like uh, you have uh, the, the pitch down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm going to stay in the fight. I'll, I'll be working on this project somewhere. These these ideas are timeless and it's really important that we get them right. So I, I don't know. It's hard to know where uh, the Lord will put me, but we're going to keep working at it. Well, we appreciate your time, Secretary Pompeo, and all the best in your pursuits. The big three right now, especially <laughs> entrepreneurship. That's the lifeblood of this country. Amen. You always have to remember without the <laughs> entrepreneurs, none of this is possible. So, not a, not a darn thing's happening if we're not creating wealth. Bless you. Have a good day. Thank you. You bet. So long. So this was definitely not the interview that I expected from the former secretary of state in a few ways. Primarily, the first way was that, you know, he fundamentally praised the Biden administration for their work on China. And this is something that I think needs to be noticed by people both on the left and the right, is that the narrative has permanently changed on China. For far too long, everyone's ignored China. Like, oh, it's just there. You know, they make our stuff. It's cheap. Like, They'll, they'll eventually become democratic. You know, if we give them enough money and if, you know, we educate their youth and if we trade with them and they'll eventually become like the rest of the world, right? So say what you want about the Trump administration, but the narrative on China has fundamentally changed and it's permanent. And no matter who's in charge now, we're going to look at China in a different light. And every day we get more and more news from people who defect, you know, leaks coming out of mainland China, that things aren't good. And the big canary in the coal mine, you know, if you don't know that saying, it's, you know, they would bring a canary down into the mine. And if the canary died, you know, there was toxic gas in the mine. Well, for us, that was really Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong was a liberal democracy, not politically liberal in the sense that it was had elected leaders and an independent judiciary and was basically a Western city. And once the British gave it back, slowly but surely, the communists have turned it into a city that resembles the rest of China. So we we have to give credit where credit is due and specifically to Mike Pompeo, who's now banned from China. You know, congrats on changing the narrative and also we don't know what your political career is going to be, but 
We wish you well in your pursuits. And I'd like to hear more of this bipartisan dialogue. I'd like to hear more about how sometimes the other side has the right answers and to give credit where credit is due. The Biden administration is pursuing a lot of the same things as the Trump administration pursued. And you probably won't hear that on liberal or conservative media outlets, but it's something you should be hearing about. China is a threat to the United States, as is Russia. And we need to recalibrate our commerce and our trade policy and our diplomacy to reflect that reality. And that was pioneered by the Trump administration. The Bush and Obama administrations, unfortunately, ignored the problem. And going forward, we need more people like Secretary Pompeo to stand up and say, hey, this is good. Keep on doing it because we're going in the right direction. And reality is reality. No matter how cheap our products are from China, we are funding the rise of someone who is not only a rival, but a threat to our future and not just America's future, but the rest of the world, because China has their fingers in every single pie around the world. And they're playing the long game and they're playing the smart game while we sit here and argue about, you know, silliness. They're focused on building a sustainable economy and a sustainable future for their people. And, you know, obviously China has its problems. You can't build a civilization based on copying other countries. And I don't know how sustainable their model is environmentally or socially. But in the meantime, we need to really confront the problem. And that starts with things that Secretary Pompeo said, which is recognizing reality, understanding that we can't continue doing things the way we've been doing them and sticking our head in the sand. So that was what really stuck out to me about Mike Pompeo's talk with me was really his talk on China. And, you know, it's it's cute because, you know, Secretary Pompeo is a real person. His relationship with his son is something I mentioned, and it's something that you you read about a lot. His son is very special to him. And his son's adopted, but they've, you know, developed a very close relationship. And when his son got engaged, you know, that the fiance said, are you are you the sanctioned family? Am I marrying into a sanctioned family? You know, Secretary Pompeo is a real person. You know, he lives in Kansas. He has to make money like the rest of us. But for a while there, he was the face of America. And no matter whether you're left or right, that's the ceremony and the this pomp and circumstance, no pun intended. It's something for the history books. And no matter what you think, America is still the leader in this world for now. And he was the leader, at least the face of the free world, not the leader that would be the president. So it was an honor to have him on the podcast. In the same way, I would extend the same invitation to Anthony Blinken, who is our current secretary of state, probably a little busy for the podcast. But in the meantime, stay tuned to so many more good interviews like this and conversations about bipartisanship, about the need for entrepreneurship, and about the need for a reality check without all the talking points. I'm David Grasso. So thanks to all of you for joining me as we follow The Prophet, and a big thanks to our producers, Cheyenne Reed, Scott Hantler, and of course to our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. I'm David Grasso. If you're enjoying this show as much as I am, give us five stars and give us a review. We read those and take your feedback in mind. Follow The Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.